So, good morning, Wednesday morning, and as I was saying earlier to some listeners, <laughs> Wednesdays are green days, because uh, the, the green ray works on a Wednesday. It's a healing ray, and it's a ray of truth. And today, we're going to hear from Anna Kalima all about uh, the... Uh, uh, what? How you claim Christ? How can you claim Christ in a world that is totally topsy turvy and nothing is permanent? This is a uh, the topic for today, and so let us greet Anakalima. Good morning, Anakalima. Good morning, Blessed Ralph. How are you today? It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. <laughs> okay, great. Yes, I'm also very happy. Okay. Um. I was just looking at the your vo- voice volume. See, I'm going to just adjust them in a moment. But um, maybe you can introduce this interesting uh, topic for us along. How do you claim the Christ is a very poignant understanding, possibly one of the most important, because it's actually got to do with identity. It's got to do with identity. So, you have to understand that the Christ consciousness, which is universal, is also the Christ mind of God. People say, what is the mind of God? The mind of God is Christ. Alright, so that's why we know that Christ consciousness is universal. It has actually got nothing to do with religion and it doesn't matter what culture you follow what religious beliefs you hold Christ is the predominant consciousness within all even Buddhism okay because to reach the mind of the Buddhic consciousness you have to go through the heart of the Christ you see the, the Christ's sphere of consciousness lives in the heart the Buddhist sphere of consciousness is the crown chakra, the thousand-petaled lotus crown chakra, the jewel of the crown. And when we combine them, we have the same as Lord Maitreya. We become part of the planetary Buddha or cosmic Christ configurations. So if we come back to the question of how to claim something like this, you first of all have to really have a look at your belief system and ask yourself, what is it that you fashion the foundation of your beliefs in because most people act they simply tragically just act because they've never been taught to they've never been taught in the main to question how where or what they come from and this of course comes back to conversations you and I've had before regarding thought processes and your thoughts the the, the, the functionality of the so-called conceptual mind how is it possible that we can go in a few short years from birth to learning to stand up and walk and so on and so forth and enter into puberty and before long with a quest of studying and here and there and that and so on, you are this fully functioning, cognizant human being that can ask and also delve into very deep, very positive, very powerful thinking. Now the question is, what is positive and powerful thinking? If it is only locked around concepts, if it's only locked into the intellect, 
you become brain bound, you become a little bit stuck in what the masses refer to as the lower mental body because we have four lower bodies. All right, we have the mental body, we have the emotional body, we have the physical body and the astral core. And these bodies all fit together in what we call the four sides of the pyramid. So in actual fact, what we're talking about here is pyramidal consciousness. There are actually, in truth, eight sides to a pyramid, but that is another um, story we'll look at another time, sometime perhaps in the new year. So we come back to this point of how do you claim the Christ consciousness. It's very similar to if you have a very deep passion for something and you decide to study because you want to represent yourself to mankind, let's say, um, as an architect and your passion for buildings, your passion for the blueprint, your passion for seeing out of a blueprint a building going up, you help design in the sense of someone else's wishes a beautiful home or some such something like that. And then at the end of the day, a year later or whatever, there stands before you this really magnificent construct that you help design on a blueprint. Or yes, today it's all digital. Before it used to be on very, very special stencilized paper which architects have used. So that's an example of somebody claiming his passion he is going to be an architect, and so much so as he pours everything into it, all the study that's required, mathematical laws and so on, perspectives, and all those things that are involved in certain elements of geometrical drawing. But he, it's, it's, it requires tremendous focus to get degrees and study, particularly of a science like um, architecture, because it's also the other profound elements of of being that involved includes the running of municipalities and municipal laws and all sorts of things and the ley lines of the earth and so on and so forth. It's actually quite something. And I'm only going into this simply to show you how detailed it is. So who would do that? Someone who has a passion. What is passion? Is to claim what he wants to do. If you really have a passion for what you do, you claim it. Do you not agree with me? You, no. you claim it. Very interesting. So to, to claim the Christ means you have to claim the sphere of the heart. I suppose um, that is very interesting what your comment there about the Christ has been in the heart and the Buddha is in, in the crown chakra mm -hmm. and um, so you have to claim the love, the love yes. to cry for Christ. And the Christ's uh, precept that you love one another as I have loved you, his commandment which initially has come from Maitreya who received it from the great throne room in the great central sun, the nameless one. There is really no real name for God, uh, beloved Ralph. We call God, God, or the great power of creation. But did you know that the word God means the geometry of divinity? That's what the word God, G-O-D, means. Oh. The geometry of divinity. So here comes our drawer again, our, our architect. We are all geometrically divine creations because we, we all break down to number. Anyone who, who writes programs for computers will tell you that it's all to do with numbers. Um, it's not to do with words as people imagine because the words that you type out on a keyboard are actually inside the computer represented by numbers. So the whole geometric design of the universe is by numbers. 
So the, geom- the geometry of divinity is what the absolute perfection of divine creation in Elohim. Your divinity in Elohim is a geometric perfection of the mind of God. Okay, the mind of Almighty God. We, we have God. We must not be mistaken on this one. We speak of God. We speak of a God being like Saint Germain. He is, as we are trained to understand, he is the God of the Aquarian Age. Just yes. as Jesus has been hailed as the God of the Piscean Age, which yes. he was and is and ever will be. The geometric perfection of Almighty God the geometry of divinity in Jesus Christ was the perfection of his Galilean mission. The perfection of St. Germain's Aquarian mission will be the manifestation of the Golden Age. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we are God. This is so many people, particularly in the East, you get a lot amongst the <coughs> Sufi people who we take Jal Aladin Rumi himself. Um, Jal Aladin Rumi, or some people just know him as Rumi, claimed he was God all the time. How did he get to that perception? Because he had a passion for divinity, mm. for the absolute quintessence of divinity, which he, he actualized in the sense of made it happen inside his own heart, which is why he was able to um, give forth the magnificent poetic stanzas he did and teachings that he did, because they are and still stand out today as absolute magnificent renditions of the poetic heart that wants to be in love with God and and absolutely glorify God in every word you speak. That's really the, uh, kind of a description of a poet, is to, a divine poet, is to glorify God in everything that you say, the word that comes forth from your mouth. So if we look at the geometry of divinity in all of us, we are God. We are. We come from the Godhead, but then there's Almighty God, which cannot be mistaken in the Great Central Sun. They are distinctly different in the Bible. We often say God in quite a hap- sort of a hazard manner. Oh God, help me! Which actually, in truth, you are saying my very own higher self in my mighty I am presence. Please help me, because I am a direct solar ray. I am a soul. I am a ray of light from Almighty God in the geometry of his divinity in all of us. Mm. I hope this isn't too much of an overwhelm for everybody, but I hope people can assimilate what I'm saying now before I take this question another step forward. Yeah, that, that is really very, very interesting. And uh, what comes for me, uh, stands out for me, is this question of the heart, you see. To claim Christ, you have to claim Christ in the heart. Because the heart also has to have courage. So that love is not weak, it is courageous. One must be able to claim it away from something. That's why we need the courage. Um, can you maybe elaborate on something uh, to you do have with to, this? You have to understand that there's the heart and there's a sympathetic heart, which is very much um, related to how your persona, your personal reality in your life, how you relate to your physical, what is known in common psychology, your physical endowment, in other words, the environment that you grow up in, becomes your personal reality. People think, they all run around saying, my persona this, my personality, and they think that's what they are. You're not a set of experiences. Mm -hmm. 
You can't say that your personality is your soul force. It's an ego. The ego rises up out of that, not the soul. Now, I mentioned this for a reason. The ego rises up out of the personal reality because it's a set of experiences we claim. Mm. You claim your personal experiences and you say, this is my life. Mm. I did this. This is what I went through. This is what's made me so-and-so and do so-and-so, achieve so-and-so. I lost all this. I did all that. I had to go through this and so on and so forth. And you claim your personal reality is a form of identity that says, this is me. This is I. You're claiming that. Mm. Now, what Christ is asking you is not to claim your personal experiences, to go even deeper and deeper into the heart and look at experiences you've had where you have touched love so deeply at times that you are actually nine times out of ten at a loss for words. It's normally when we cry a lot or we become a little bit imploded or we, we separate ourselves off a little bit from everyone and we just want to be quiet and go within those profound feelings, sometimes those feelings rise out of deep sadness. Somebody mm. passes that you've loved very much and it absolutely changes the entire foundation of your world. It rocks you from yeah to back like when my mother made transition 20 years ago was the deepest moving moment of my life because of how deeply I loved her. I had to go through the absolute agony of not ever being able to speak to her again and that mm. caused a transition it caused a complete paradigm shift in my consciousness, not to the worst, where I became bitter and ensoured and hated God and the angels and everything because my mother apparently was taken from me. I'm an awakened soul. I know she made transition. I know she's not dead. Mm-hmm. And I know why she had that cancer. And I know, I know, I know, I know. Do you understand? So to know gives you a little bit of insurance, if you like. It assures you, but it encourages you to go deeper to differentiate between your personal reality and the power of the inner heart. The inner heart, you know there's a saying, Ralph, I'm sure you've heard of the people tragically always do their best when they are at their worst. And look at the world situation and this pandemic that we have um, with the stuff that's going on around the world. Out of it will rise the golden age. Because people have to be made extremely uncomfortable. They have to be forced out of their comfort zones. Leave me alone. I'm trying to live my life as a comfort zone. Okay. You're with me. That, it is normally, Jesus describes it is normally ironically, tragically, deep soul pain that actually can give you courage or write you off. All right. At the end of the day, like ignorance, which is a choice, it's up to you. Out of the depths of that pain, we have a choice to stand up for everything that is around us. Usually we, 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 we relate to people we love dearly that are still around us. If we talk like, for example, the loss of my mother. I had three blessed children I had to continue living for and raise and so on and so forth. I, I had my children and I adored them. So there was the courage. God had already given me the courage. Mm. Yes, she is now gone. Now raise your children as she raised you. I had to then produce the, the tremendous love I had for my mother into the courage of raising my children, knowing I couldn't be with her again. There are people who don't know how to find that courage, but courage can be found, particularly if you are willing to love. In, in, in many essences, I look at Archangel Michael as the most profound expression of divine love mankind has. He is courage, he is faith, his consort divine faith, archaic faith. They are the love that becomes the courage to do. Oh. 
very nice picture thank you so uh, just before we take a break let's just go back to the concept of the Buddha therefore he being in the crown the key note there is the wisdom and so yes. his teaching is full of profound wisdom yeah. And we're working from the one side to the other side, but then eventually they meet. Is yeah. that correct? Yes. But you must take that further. What does wisdom mean? It means wise dominion. Oh. Wise dominion means wisdom. And wisdom has always been taught since Adam van Nightum as the divine Sophia. It is feminine. The mother is always wise. The old crone is always wise. It is the wisdom of the mother that raises the children. It's a feminine aspect. It's not masculine. It is not of the alpha aspect. Wisdom is of the divine mother. So therefore you have already very clearly defined the Buddha as an aspect in the full maturity, the cosmic maturity of his being, becoming the, the Buddha, meaning that he had mastered wisdom. He had mastered the balance of the divine feminine. Therefore, cosmic consciousness in the Christ, could descend into his being. He could become that through the opening of the crown chakra, mm. through the opening of what, if we really went into cosmological science with beloved Lord Maitreya, cosmogony, um, your crown chakra is your etheric brain. When you ascend, that's actually the brain that you have. When you ascend, I don't know if you're aware of that, Ralph, but we don't have the gray matter brain with us when we ascend. Mm. That is completely... Uh, it's part of the elements of the world. It's part of the earth, air, fire, and water. It is something that doesn't follow you any more than your own bloodstream would follow you when you ascend. You don't have red blood. You don't have flesh and blood. Ascended beings have light bodies that look completely like ours, but they are made of crystalline diamond light. So the consciousness of the Buddha is that of the immortal. It's actually immortal consciousness, the Buddha. Oh, well, though, we're having a really great time here discussing the profound or well, the profundities of Gautama Buddha and uh, Christ Jesus and the universal aspect of Christ. So we're going to have a little music now. May the angels go with you. Yeah. 
And so we're back again here with Anna Kalema and we're talking about claiming the Christ in a very turbulent world. So we've been talking about the crown chakra and we've been talking about the heart chakra. And so it is a very, very particularly involved with the heart chakra. So as we've heard from Anna Lima this morning. So Anna Lima, so uh, it is difficult for people to open their hearts. Uh, and uh, some people find that very, very difficult. So is that the reason why we actually have to claim the Christ? You know, the result of not, as I've even experienced it um, in my own life, I have experienced this personally, this difficulty you speak of. Generally, nine times out of ten, um, that difficulty comes from pain. And I think you'll see, you've probably experienced it in your own life as well, when the pain is deep enough, the instinct to shut down is automatic it is almost instantaneous what is shut down you shut off so that you can't be hurt anymore it's a natural instinct the masters speak about it in fact they have given um saint germain has given teachings to this to allude to the fact that the shutdown of the heart starts before the child can even walk and that if that heart doesn't to some extent shut down on the outer they will die before they reach the age of nine because impact of mankind's thought processes, the barbarism and cruelty in the world is such an extent because we're talking of energetic flow here mm. okay, that it can actually cause the heart to, to, to give, in other words you have a heart attack and you die because the pain is so great mm. because outside of the human nomadic experience and each individual um, who considers themselves a nomad um, as in they're separated from God and everyone else which is an illusion <clears throat> people don't understand what the word illusion means. They want some grand sort of Merlin-type experience where illusion is far more dangerous and subtle than that. Um, so the shutdown of the heart is actually a process from, you could say, infancy almost, to protect the soul so that they can actually make it in embodiment. And the reasons why this is allowed, as it were, and why it does happen, even with those who have ascended and experienced the same in the matter plane, is that the indwelling spirit of God in the threefold flame in the secret chamber of the heart is what it is. It is so intense, its reality is so, that it can overcome anything and absolutely everything. But you see, for the most part, most people don't know they have a secondary heart chamber because they see the heart as a being in me or the physical pump. They don't realize that actually you have a heart chakra, and they don't realize that the heart chakra is still not the being and meal, that behind the heart chakra is a secondary heart chakra. Also behind the solar plexus is a secondary solar plexus. There are two solar plexuses, okay, and two heart centers. And, and the ones, the two that I speak of that are extremely hidden, remain in what people may or may not understand within the etheric spine, because there are three spines. There's your physical spine, there's the astral spine and the etheric spine. The etheric spine is that that you ascend from. What is a spine? It's the tree of life. And it is upon that or your nose with which you feel everything. This, the spine, if you like, is a massive memory system for which the whole body functions. <clears throat> and it's very important to notice that the spine 
and the heart develop first before the brain actually develops properly. It's quite interesting to note that. People say what comes first. It's not the brain, I can tell you that now. It's the heart. The heart is always the first that's monitored. The heart is always the first can, that can be heard beating quite distinctly. And I speak from absolute experience of sonar over my own three children I brought into this world. I know or when you hear it. And it is the most profound experience to know that that heart is actually connected to the threefold flame or the secret chamber of the heart and that you are in essence listening to the soul essence of the soul that is coming through you to reincarnate. It is that essence or quintessence of your being, your soul source, your absolute soul-centered being that you need to learn is there and turn to to claim Christ. But people have to find that. This is why you'll find in all the teachings the Master's always encouraged to dig deeper, dig deeper. Why do we say in meditation you must not just stay because, oh, in meditation I saw this and that. That's not what meditation is about. Meditation is actually mediation. It's a, a form of mediation. It's a bridge between you and your higher self and your higher consciousness. And if you sit in mediation through the Christ consciousness, through the angelic consciousness given you, and the teachings of the ascended masters, you will reach and touch the garment or the trailing hem of the Christ garment. And the minute you touch that, you are quickened. There is that aha moment I've spoken of yeah. where you are quickened by Christ and you know you know that feeling most women claim this very strongly. You know that you know that you know. Or I know it in my waters. Or I know it in my bones. It's that absolute divine knowing. That divine knowing is the confirmation, affirmation of Christ's consciousness in your being. And mm. that's what we need to touch. That's what we need to reach for. Not just fickle emotions. If we look today, and I say this please very lightly, it is not to, to press anybody's nerves because I'm not here for that. I am an enlightened being. I simply remind you that we are facing phenomena like we have never faced it before. We don't know who's who in the human zoo anymore. We don't know who to believe. We certainly don't know who to trust. Because if you don't know who to believe, you can't trust because they're synonymous. They're one unto the other. If you don't believe, you won't trust whatever it is. That's saying, trust me, I believe. You know that statement? Trust me, I believe this. Why do we say trust? Because we know. Trust is synonymous with deep inner core knowing of being. So it is normally the proverbial epiphany. It is normally the um, that divine moment in life where we awaken. It, there are several levels of enlightenment. We have an enlightening moment where the divine gnosis or the Christ consciousness allows you say a pearl of wisdom, a drop of the divine spiritual blood of Christ, which quickens your thinking and you are transformed forever and ever and ever. Why? Because you awaken. So we are living in a time where we need to see that awakening is very real. There are many, 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 many dearly, dearly beloved souls who are stuck in imperial thinking and physical thinking and cannot get past the absolute physicality of their life. These are the sheep of mankind, and unfortunately these people are going to take a lot of effort to awaken in this um, pandemic that is going around in mankind. And they can often be part of the problem more than they can be to help because they can get bought very, very easily because they don't know what to believe because they've never penetrated the heart deeper than their own desires. We have to go deeper than desire, Ralph, for anything and we are taught by the Ascended Masters the greatest desire of all is to be God. 
is to be God, to be in God, to find God. And the way you be God or you be the Buddha, yes, just bear with me in my English. The way you be God or you be the Buddha or you become, in Buddhism we talk about becoming, okay? You become the Buddha in stages is through the power of belief and the power of being able to go in increment by increment through these divine um, experiences that open up the soul where you are not in any doubt whatsoever that that particular experience you had had nothing to do with your physical life. It was a divine moment that awakened you. Right, yes. I think we just uh, have to reiterate once again for our listeners that when uh, we talk about Christ in the manner that we are speaking here this morning, that Anakalima is speaking, is we're talking about a universal principle and it hasn't got anything to do with religion as such, but that every human being has got a Christ no matter what your uh, religious background the Christ is a universality that can awaken within you. And um, whether you are from the Islamic community or the Buddhist community or the Judaic community, uh, the Christ is a universal principle. Um, could you perhaps say something about that, Anakilema, about the universality of this Christ principle? Because um, many people still are very stuck with using the word Christ in terms of religion. And uh, we're certainly talking about a very deeper aspect of Christ here this morning. <clears throat> Let's go back first to the word wisdom. Wise dominion. What does dominion means to live? To live wisely. Wise dominion. Wisdom means to live wisely. How do you live wisely? You live with divine moral precepts. And then knowledge beyond a book gets given to you. The kingdom means consciousness. Knowledge must be transfigured into consciousness. While it remains book-bound or internet-bound, it can do nothing for you if it doesn't transfigure or change. When knowledge changes, it becomes divine. It becomes wisdom. It becomes a way we can wisely live. It becomes the Christ consciousness. So when we look at a question like that, people have unfortunately, and I'm talking on a mass level here, been entrapped, particularly in these last 4,000 years, where religion has been a net with which people have been scooped up in, if you like, have been imprisoned in, and it's become more prevalent today than it's ever been before in certain religious sects because the so-called priests... Are, and I say this, you know, carefully because some of the priests of these various religious sects are, some of them are very devoted people, very, very devoted to the Christ or the Buddha or so on and so forth, very devoted to God. We are not knocking them, but unfortunately even them, they are bound in a kind of orthodoxy. They are bound in something that doesn't release the consciousness. It doesn't release the mind. It enslaves the mind instead that I of my own self can never find freedom from my own thoughts. I need a priest to deliver me. This is the old concept of religion. This is what people are stuck in. They don't realize that we are God-free beings and that the priest, the, the divine priest of the, the soul is the heart. Your, the priest of your soul is your heart. 
which is the Christ consciousness. Christ means the illumined one. Buddha means the enlightened one. It's to do with illumination and enlightenment, divine enlightenment. So, yes, part of the wars we're facing in the world today are very much religiously bound, particularly when you have um, Islamic fundamentalism to the extent of where it is today, which is nothing other, unfortunately, than war. It is a form of war and terror. But you can't only look at them and say, well, yes, look at what they're doing. We have, as you yourself know, we are both historians by passion. If we go back a little bit, we've got the devastation of the Christian wars behind us um, from the various papal seats where they went out and wiped out thousands and yet sometimes millions of people. You look at the Cathars that they murdered, over three million people they wiped out with the Crusaders, okay, which was apparently a holy war. What is the difference, Ralph, between that holy war and what is happening in Islam today? There's no difference. It's a name and a certain sect of people. It's called, it's called religious bondage because if people learn, Ralph, there's a better way, as Al Moria puts it, they will be better. If people learn they don't have to be bound because most of these religions, what is the first thing that is noted everywhere? Um, I'm sure you've noticed it yourself in your life. You've had some pretty interesting experiences. I've, I have. They rule. And let's come back to the word of wise dominion. There's nothing wise in it. In their domain, they rule by what? Fear, not the wise. They rule by fear. But if we rule by the wise light of the mother, of the consciousness of Christ, it becomes a wisdom. If we rule with fear, we become bound, we fall into bondage, we fall into that trap where people become spiritually lazy and they become a little bit comfortable living in a box and allowing the priest or the other one to do it for them. And this also, of course, is a very sensitive paper-thin subject because at the end of the day, it does also boil down to the fact that there's a lot of rebellion about waking up. Why? Because it means you have to clean up your karma. You have to face the fact that you owe X amount of karma <laughs> can come to you in any way. It can <coughs> come to you financially. It can come to you emotionally. There's all sorts of things that could come to you through nature. In other words, there's a huge earthquake or something, or all these terrible tornadoes and things they have in America. And your house gets literally flooded out, and the front door you can swim through it so deep. Okay, that's a form of karma, that. It's a form of elemental backlash. Because the Masters has made it very clear that cyclonic energy, the cyclone and the tornado, the vortex, if you've seen some of these amazing photographs that some of these people capture of these horrific hurricanes in America, and you've seen the cone aspect um, spiraling from the tiniest line up to the widest vortex of the hurricane, that, in fact, is the elemental backlash of mankind's thinking, which they spew back at mankind. They, and normally, if you look at it carefully, most of those hurricanes are pitch black. That's energy. That's actual energy you're looking at there that is thrown back to mankind. It is thrown back to him. And unfortunately, as we have also learned that God is no respecter of persons, you must understand so is nature. Nature's no respecter of persons. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter how seriously advanced in the light you are. We are all here together. And if we've got something like this coming up, a lot of light bearers have had to forfeit. That, in other words, sometimes they lose their embodiment and have to reincarnate. They are normally given compensation and opportunity for better circumstances. But we are all in the same pea soup together. So at the end of the day, it all boils down to uh, illumination. Because uh, no matter 
what your religious background if you don't do not wake up uh, all forms of unconscious religious religion worship um, in somehow through the way that dogma is perpetrated today actually leads to war which is very yes. sad that um, that religion can be the basis of war. It always has been. The yeah. whole of the Bhagavad Gita is written on the principle of the warring of your own members in your own body, in the left and right hemispheres of the brain, and how um, you have the, the kurus, which is basically the ego domain consciousness, living consciousness, and you have the pandavas, which is basically either the Christ precept or Buddhic consciousness, which is your moral foundation for awakening Right, yeah. So illumination is the key. And uh, unfortunately, like uh, right now, we have to be uh, taken out of our comfort zone so that we can awaken. So let us hope that uh, this karma that's on the planet at the moment that uh, great is a great blessing so that people can awaken to their higher selves, to their Christ consciousness. So let us have another bit of music and then we continue this amazing conversation. So we're back again, and um, we're also speaking here, uh, although on this channel we never speak uh, politics, but uh, 
we do are speaking this morning also a little bit on the level of awakening beyond the national uh, bounds of one's consciousness. That as a human being, I'm born into a family, and then from the family I become aware of my schooling environment, and then I become eventually aware of my national uh, environment. I'm a South African or I'm Australian. But when we claim the Christ, we are bound to actually have to go beyond even the national boundaries and become universal. So, uh, so this is what we were talking in the bra- about in the break there. Do you want to continue in that line of thinking, uh, Anakalima? The Masters have taught, particularly Lord Tanando, who is the chief of the Indian Council, that's the 14 ascended masters who govern the destiny of Asia, um, India, Asia, and so on and so forth. Master Chananda is a very, very advanced being of the light, and in one of his great dictations, he stated that the greatest crisis to humanity is nationalism. And why is that? It's because people are in taught from birth. If we look at the World War II, that's exactly what the 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 SS of of Hitler's um, Reich did, the Third Reich was to make nationalists and make them very proud to be German. But it's an absolute illusion because nationality doesn't really exist. It's a concept. It's a concept of a certain ethnicity of a certain people. It's one thing to claim your ethnicity. You might be Indian, you might be from India, um, and therefore the tone of your skin suggests that you are from the Indus Valley or the Hindu people because that's where the word Hindu comes from is the Indus Valley. They were not actually Hindu. They come from the Aurovedic line. It's an illusion to call people, Indian people, Hindu. But the Indus people um, have a certain tone in their skin just as if you go across to England, their skin is very pale, very white, and they have a completely different expression. It's very much like having a garden full of flowers, different flowers, isn't it? But you don't see all the flowers beating each other up and fighting with each other because they're all different colors, you see. They are quite happy to grow next to each other, but we are far more than flowers. I feel, and the masters have taught it, nationalism is used as a weapon. It's used to control people. It's used to force people into a form of identity because nationalism is none other than identity. And what do you do? You claim that identity. <clears throat> so think about it. Let's take, for example, um, the, a very, very strong race, like, for example, being Russian. And people are very proud that they're Russian. And they have a certain culture, which is quite amazing. Yes, but if you're going to remain in the culture of being Russian, how will you ever expand your consciousness? Do you understand what I'm getting at, Ralph? You've got to go beyond nationalism to universality, which is where we are. We are waking up to to what they are now calling globalism. And the foreign powers are trying to bind man. It's their last-ditched attempt to bind man to a form of global nationalism. They're saying, no, you can't expand in your freedom of consciousness to the power of Almighty God. You are still going to be bound. We're going to not have one country. We're going to have one planet. You're going to belong to it. God help you if you step out of it. You will be bound to a form of nationalism. Because people are breaking their boundaries. 
This is what this war is about now. It's about preventing mankind from waking up. People think it's about a virus. They think it's about masks. They think it's about social distancing. I can tell you that social distancing is ancient. You only have to look at the way people treat each other. It's abominable. It's absolutely abominable. Social distancing, if you want to put it in another word, is class consciousness. There's nothing more, more prominent than class consciousness and the costs of the, of the holier than thou and the very rich and, and the peasants so-called named and the middle man and this man and that man. That's all a form of separating from one another, of distancing. It's a social disease. It's a pathological social disease. To believe that because you have a certain amount of money in the bank, you're better than a homeless man on the street. Or you're better than some particular religious sect that are very deeply involved, perhaps, like you take the Tibetan Buddhism, right? They're very deeply involved in it. Yet I will tell you that the more profound those Tibetan lamas become, they are not bound to Tibet. If you really sit and talk to some of those lamas, when I had my Facebook account, which I shut down, I actually eventually started talking to some of them because I have a very deep, profound, unmovable love for Tibet. And I'm still in contact with certain Tibetan lamas. They don't think like that. They think only Buddha. In fact, the Tibetan lamas will teach you that everything is Buddha, not just a person. That the earth is Buddha, the sky is the Buddha. The food you eat is Buddha. Why? Because it's consciousness. It's a form of consciousness, you see. So if we break away from the consciousness of nationalism, where do we go from there? Where do we go if we're not nationally bound or religiously bound anymore? We go through to Christ consciousness, which is the consciousness of expanding your awareness. It's the opening of the heart. Now, if you can claim, and I say this to any listener, if you can claim your nationality so fiercely and so proudly, you can claim Christ. There's no difference. You're shifting the passion of your claim. And if you really understand Christ, if you really want to understand the Christ consciousness, if you want to get away from bound orthodox religion, then you have to leave nationalism because they are synonymous. They're one in the same. Okay, they are. All the various religious sects are bound to nationalities. Israel is bound to Judaism, is it not? Islam is bound to the Islamic path of Muhammad. Yeah. Well, that's, um, I suppose, the massive limitation that, yes, we, are, limitation. that we are experiencing today. And... Uh, uh, and it is the very thing that people are now waking up for against and uh, claiming that Christ is uh, really part and parcel of this awakening. So, what else can we say about this particular topic? About I'll give you an example of the Vietnamese monk, mm -hmm. Thich Nhat Hanh, who is now in his 90s and unfortunately a little while ago had a stroke which due to his age, he is now, you know, really quite seriously incapacitated, but he's really, really, I think he's moving to 95, he's probably going to beat Madiba himself, but um, I have been an, an ardent supporter of Tay, as he's commonly known amongst those who love him dearly, um, and Tay has written some very profound works apart from um, his mantra work and singing in Plum Village, which he started in, in France, which is where his monastery, his main monastery is. They actually mostly sing in English. Do you know that? It is most so profound to hear profound Buddhist sutras and Vietnamese Buddhist sutras sung in English. 
and he's written himself teachings about Buddha and Christ together because he, he penetrated it. He explored it. You know, he was very much involved uh, in the Vietnamese War. What he went through and saw and came through lies belief. He saw suffering firsthand, which very few people ever get to see, which tore his soul open. If you understand the biography of this great and very profound uh, Buddhist monk, which I equal on the line of the Dalai Lama himself, um, you will see that he has written profoundly about the balance between Christ and the Buddha and Almighty God. And here is this profound Vietnamese Buddhist monk who absolutely proclaims God, he proclaims the Buddha, and he proclaims Christ all in one. He has broken his boundaries, Tay. Mm. He is not bound only to Buddhism and to the Buddha because he knows that, that the path of the Buddha, the Christ consciousness, are completely inseparable. They are one side of the same coin. And he knows that nationalism is nothing other than a very, very tight chain. It's like a dog on a chain. Isn't it? And he rushes around and around the pole that he's bound and eventually the dog can't move because he's wound himself up around that pole so tight in his desperate need to bark and get away, can't move. And this is what mankind does, Ralph. They are like the dog that's on the chain, bound to orthodoxy until we've gone around and around so many times defending ourselves we can't move anymore because we're held by the neck, by the very chain that we bound ourselves with. Mm. And we really do go round and round. Because there's a round and a round with the same concepts. Yes. Um, if we uh, study these things and we become dogmatic about it, any form of teaching which is dogmatic is just going round and around and around. You can't break out of that that thinking. It becomes linear in itself. Yes, that's very really, uh, interesting, Anakalima, that you've brought this with uh, to us this morning. That's uh, really fascinating. We're going to have another little. A piece of music here now, and then we'll be back and we'll continue in this line.
So we are talking this morning about a very important concept and uh, the courage, the courage that goes behind that concept and that courage is um, how to claim, claim the Christ and uh, it takes some kind of courage and an awakening to actually um, to implement such a claiming, it's an act of will. Yes, that's a very interesting suggestion you've given there, Ralph, um, act of will or volition, your own volition means to do of your own accord, to give of your own free will and your own energetic um, inner resources that you pour into something you might become deeply involved in, such as your passion for certain things to do and become. It, it's, it's got a lot to do with will or the word doing. We're always taught God is the doer, and we don't really do it as God or our divinity. The geometry of our divinity is the pure divinity within your heart, your threefold flame, and the geometric perfection of that flame, which is divinely intelligent, and that intelligence is called Christ. And when we enter into that divine consciousness of the heart, because of its supreme gnosis or divine wisdom or divine absolute knowing, we can awaken. Um, the problem also which prevents awakening is desire. Jesus spoke of inordinate desire. It's all right, he said, with all thy getting, get wisdom or wise dominion. Live wisely so that um, you can break away from knowledge into gnosis, into divine understanding. As people think when they've got degrees down their arms and so on and they can tap anything they want and they know taking the word no from knowledge, um, this, that, and next, until you actually break away from knowledge into divine understanding, into the Christ consciousness, you will remain book-bound. And you must ostensibly realize that 
every book you study was written by somebody. Oh, therefore you are relying on someone else's input. It is not your own. And no matter how much it might be backed up by half the world, you are required in Christ consciousness to have your own wisdom. This is the path. This is what the path is all about. Is for you in your own volition, your own steam, everything you want to do. Volition is a very interesting word. It means the impetus of your being enacted through your will because you so believe in what you're doing, you do. That is volition. You absolutely give your all. Masters always talk about the chila or the disciples' volition to give their all. This is the path of the ascension. Is The path of volition is to give your all, your absolute passion to it because you don't want to any longer stay in uh, boxed-up thinking and living in other people's concepts and other people's opinions. We all have an opinion, Ralph. We all have our ideas, but we have to break away from the global mind consciousness of mankind, which is, sits in the astral body, which is primarily um, about the the feeling world, the consciousness that comes out of the feeling world. But the consciousness that we are talking about here has to be free from human feelings, free from human emotion, and become divine. Yes. Right. So it is very much an act of will, actually, then, because um, uh, normal concepts uh, that go round and around, that, as you mentioned, um, that's almost as if that's the dog, uh, the tail wagging the dog, because uh, some some thoughts have got such volition in them that they tend to compel the human being. Inordinate desire, yes. Yes, so it, it, it's actually got to do with uh, claiming your territorial wisdom in what is really your thoughts and what is the thoughts that are being imposed upon you from your surrounding. You know, to put it to you in a much gentler way is is when people do reach a certain point in their being where they feel they're not sure where they're going in life and everybody does You'll sit down quietly and say, but this is not where I wanted my life to be. This is not who I believe I am. That is a very critical point. It's the why in the road. And it's actually a point where if they just penetrated a little deeper into the heart, they would start to discover little aspects about themselves and they would be encouraged by what they've discovered and they would step in a little bit further and a little bit further and then they would find that deep within the heart there is this well, a deep well. You know, you... you put the bucket down the well and you go deep, deep down and you let the rope go down, 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 down until eventually the bucket hits the water and then you still let it go down a little bit further so you can pull up the water and then comes the work because as you start pulling up the proverbial bucket through the well, it gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. You'd be surprised how heavy a bucket of water can weigh. So you've got to dig in very deep to the well of the heart and through your efforts of throwing that rope in, you've still got to draw that bucket up You've got to have the courage to draw it all the way up. Most people don't. They let it go. There lies the problem. And then they don't make enough effort to reach the Christ consciousness within. And unfortunately, courage also comes along. And it can often courage can often come along in the disguise of tests and trials and so on and so forth to test people to see whether they are really going to have what it takes to draw the bucket out of the well, to draw the life-giving waters of the heart out, or are they just simply looking at 
it as a way out of their dilemma because that's not Christ consciousness. It is actually another form of commercialism. It's another form of shopping. It's another form of adding to what you've already got. You see, and then, then, then this is why so many people today get lost in understanding of what Christ consciousness is because it's not something you can consume. It's not something you can buy. It's not something you can fashion. It is not something you can create. It's not something you can borrow. Christ consciousness is, has been, and will ever be. So we've got to decide that the Christ consciousness as well is not something we can create. Christ is. It is something we move to. It is something we immerse ourselves into, like you immerse a tea bag into hot water. You've got to have the courage to immerse yourself into the holy fires of the Christ. And yes, initially sometimes you can burn a lot. You can scold like a hot cup of water can. And you put the tea bag in and eventually what does it do? The tea draws out the flavorant of the... Sorry, the hot water draws out the flavorant of the tea in the tea bag. You remove the tea bag and you drink the tea. Is this not profoundly synonymous of the Christ consciousness? You then remove all the efforts. You put them all aside. Think, wow, this is what has taken me to sip this cup of divine light so that I can awaken. Yes, it takes a lot of effort. And it takes the willingness to be hurt. It takes the willingness to be scolded a little bit by experiences. It takes the willingness to say that no matter what happens, I'll get up again. I've burnt my mouth. I've burnt my tongue. I can't drink anything. That water was so hot. I've got blisters on my mouth. But uh, you know what? I'll wait for them to heal. The mouth will heal. I'll drink again. So that's the labor of love. So what we are learning here this morning is uh, about claiming Christ, which is a labor of love. Um, so today, in, throughout the world, this is a labor that is being foisted upon humanity. And let's hope and pray that, and I think, in fact, humanity is awakening. There's a massive awakening yes. taking place right now. Oh yes, there's a massive awakening. People are more awake than our detractors imagine. They are far more awake than our detractors imagine because there is only one power in the universe, Ralph, and that is God. God is the only power that can act. All the detractors ever do is manipulate that power. They are masters, if you like, of the electromagnetic plane. They are masters of the physical domain. What is to be a master of the physical domain is to understand the nature of phenomenon to manipulate it, which is illusion. That's what illusion, and eventually if you believe in the illusion, it becomes delusion. You become deluded because you believed in the illusion. This is where people go. People can commit suicide because of delusion, because they get so frightened. They don't know where in the name of God they've got to, how they ever got there. They are so frightened because normally that kind of phenomena is absolutely drenched and enveloped in fear and all its paradigms. But I believe that people are also tired of being bound in fear. They're tired of of it all and they're willing to bump, they're willing to hurt, they're willing to fall down and bang their knees. They are even some are even willing to die for it. In other words, to give up the body and come back and reincarnate again. They are so determined to awaken. And mm. there's a saying for those of us who are very deeply involved in ascended teachings that Son of Kumara teaches where he says you love the life not unto the death. In other words, you don't love your life to the point where you're so afraid to die. You must understand that death is illusion. Jesus Christ has the keys to both death and hell. It's an illusion. The teachings, the gnosis, the doctrine of reincarnation was removed. 
from what is commonly understood as the King James Version of the Bible today. It was moved away. It was completely removed by the Council of Nicaea approximately 380 years after the ascension of Christ in Italy. It was removed. As many other books were removed then, the doctrine of Mother Mary was removed, or if you like, the Gnosis, the Bible of Magdalena, the full Bible of Thomas himself, and so on and so forth. These were removed. Why? Because they gave you the principal keys of freedom that Jesus taught his inner people, his 72 disciples. He taught them about reincarnation. He taught them how to free themselves from the bondage of the material mind. And this is where people are today. People are doing research because, you know, the funny thing is the very tool that the detractors use to bind you in actually becomes the key of your freedom so there is also a way from taking this internet thing and turning it back on itself using it as a tool to extract as much information as you can out of the great search engine and from that in that research because i have certainly been shown that and given that by the masters the masters will redeem it for you they will take it and redeem it how do they redeem it to transfigure it or change it so that the christ consciousness permeates what you're reading and you become enlightened and you suddenly think aha this is actually what's happening and so we have at the moment the birth of the new aquarian thinker that is what's happening in the world people are learning to think outside of fear which is the beginning of the golden age so it's the overcoming of fear is part of that claiming yes claiming of Christ is also claiming your independence of fear. And fear is the very thing that the detractors actually use. And if you can take a sting out of fear, uh, then you are uh, freeing yourself <coughs> completely. I like that kind of thinking very much, Anakalima. Thank you so much for bringing these concepts here this morning. Can I, can I just give you a quick brief example of it's very very physical it's actually to do with divers in the sea and in fact if anyone knows about it i unfortunately haven't had the chance to watch this video but i can get hold of it and if you're really interested if anyone is i do know someone who can get hold of it but there is in fact on our own south african coastlines near a beach called Konki, um here in cape town there was a gentleman who had an experience with an octopus and now we know that the octopus is generally quite a fearful creature. They're quite gruesome in the sense that if one of their arms break off, they just grow another one and so on. And if those pads get onto you and suck you, you can be in quite a lot of trouble. And yet he had an experience with this octopus where he actually, I suppose you could say, befriended it. Quite a big one. He befriended it. And this thing actually showed him the most amazing things in the water he learned so much th about this. This thing never harmed him. It never attached its tentacles to him. And he developed a relationship with this creature. With When he went into the sea, it was waiting for him. There have been plenty of stories of people who have made friends with sharks. There are stories on, on earth, uh, on land, um, of people who make friends with hyenas. We've got one here in Johannesburg. The, um, this man, Richard, who also um, made friends with lions. He was determined to show that hyenas are not quite the most gruesome creatures. There's a certain aspect of the hyena and the lion you will never tame. There's a certain aspect of the sea mankind cannot tame, yet you can develop, even as with the octopus, a certain relationship with it. What am I referring to here? I'm referring to the overcoming of fear paradigms, and yet you can actually turn this thing around and actually find a friend out of it, and very great benefits can come from it. 
So it's actually quite a thing to, to see that um, we can take fear and turn fear around to be one of the greatest teachers we will ever have. And I know that on the flip side of fear is only love. All, all, all fear is, is the absence of love, which is light. And if we could truly understand that light is consciousness, it's not just a concept. It is the loving consciousness of Almighty God. What is there to fear? I'll tell you what it is we fear. Phenomena. It's the same thing as Homer. Who was Homer? He was at the time of the great Odyssey, when the collapse of the Greek um, dynasties. Okay, Homer was born blind, and he wrote the Odyssey. But we know who Homer was, and who he is as an ascended being. And he chose, Homer chose to be blind. He chose to be born blind because he refused to see this world. Why? Because he didn't want to be distracted in his mind about what he could see. And this is the issue here, is a phenomena can delude you. In other words, inordinate desire. We want, we want, we want. We see, we want. I must have, or I must have that. This is what the media trolls demand, is they advertise in such a way, and I don't just mean on internet, I mean in shops, wherever you go, where you are truly almost compelled to empty out your purse every single month of your life. Oh, I must have this. Oh, I must have that. Oh, I want that. Oh, I must buy that. Have you seen the latest car? Have you seen the latest cell phone? Have you seen? And it's, it, it never ends. It never ends. It never ends. That's phenomena. In other words, with all thy, thy, thy getting, get wisdom, said Jesus. How much is enough? How much do you want? How much desire are you going to be bound by? Till eventually you're drowning in desire. And when you drown in desire, it's like people who, who unfortunately, I must use that this as an understanding, people who smoke don't realize just how much they did in their other senses. You did in the olfactory senses. You can't smell properly. You can't taste properly. And your fingertips are not so sensitive anymore. The flesh, your actual body is not so sensitive anymore. Your food tastes dull. You know, the, the smell faculties or your olfactory nerve cannot detect the subtle nuances of food, the subtle nuances of beautiful flowers and so on and so forth. It's a known fact. Now, this is the same thing. When you take and buy and get and get and get too much, your overall five senses become overwhelmed and you become insensitive to what is going on around you. You become insensitive to the fact that you might be coming ill because you desire a certain kind of food and lifestyle and you eat a certain while. In fact, it's not sorting your body out. It's, if anything, one very, very dangerous road towards possibly your demise. But you keep doing it because you're so overwhelmed by everything. You can no longer sense orientate. You can't smell properly. You can't see properly. You can't taste properly. You can't hear properly. You can't touch properly. And you can't feel properly in your being. That is what happens with desire when it becomes so inordinate. Therefore, how do you know what you really want? You don't. Because you are overweighed by everything that you want. This is the whole principle of what the monastic situation was a couple of hundred years back, which was so profound, was to um, abstain, completely abstain. And the extremity of the abstainers was to try and train the mind from inordinate desire so that you can actually find Christ and that you can emerge. You can surface from samsara because the sea of samsara, another word for samsara, is desire, the sea of your desire. And it really is so addictive, actually. This... Um Desire body is very, very addictive. That's why we're constantly looking for more and more and more. So, it's at the end of the day, it's a overcoming of addiction, and there are many kinds of addiction, not just uh, smoking, as you put it there, but uh, um, 
the addiction to phenomena is a, is a massive thing. Uh, we have to get out there and there's always something that has well, to stimulate. it's called entertainment. The addiction to phenomena yeah. is called entertainment. Oh, well, there we go. Exactly. Okay, so <clears throat> we also been talking about the, the courage that it takes to actually um, be different to other people. Can, uh, what did the words uh, come away and be a chosen people? And it, it's, it requires quite a lot of, a lot of courage to claim your path or your Christ. Let's look at the hardened drug addict. Um, to overcome his addiction, what he has to go through. If he decides he's going to overcome this thing, it's not. It's actually a very long road, isn't it? Because the addiction runs so deep into the subconscious mind. Is there any difference in being addicted to phenomena? You have to find the courage to overcome it. You have to find the courage, even if you are financially very comfortable, to stop buying things that might cause you further problems and so on and so forth. Have the kind of diet that perhaps is really not supportive of your own physiognomical structure and so on. It takes a lot of courage. And the only way you can enter into courage is discipline. Mm. Okay, And discipline, you eventually become the disciple or, or you become the chila or you become the bodhisattva because disciple and bodhisattva pretty much mean the same thing. Uh, even as the word chila, they all pretty much mean the same thing. So if it depends on your heart. It depends on how much you love. Do you find as the individual, do you find in your heart you have love profoundly for some aspect of divinity? Are you driven perhaps more to the Buddha? Are you driven perhaps more to the Divine Mother Mary or Kuan Yin? Um, are you driven to the very Christ consciousness in Jesus or Krishna and so on and so forth or the great Zarathustra? Um, it depends on you, but if it's normally adoration, it's normally devotion that can help you bail out your sinking boat. Where if you have enough devotion, if you have the capacity, and most people do, they do, Ralph, have the capacity to love very deeply. It's just they're loving the wrong things. And if they can take that love and point it towards Christ, they can also claim Christ as they poured in so much energy to claim the material life they have. You, you basically, you're switching your point of devotion. You're switching your devotion to having this intense material love or these very intense points of view or the very intense way you live. You're switching it and you're giving that devotion to Christ. You're giving that devotion to Almighty God. Yeah. That's your courage. <coughs> yeah. Well, we have uh, a great archetype uh, amongst uh, the uh, religious people. Uh, in Christianity and in Islam and in Judaism which is the Archangel Michael who is uh, really the epitome of courage and as you say also of love so we're going to have a song now in which uh, he, we talk about his great his great blue sword yes. which is the very thing that uh, he can help Archangel Michael is the one we can teach you courage and it can also help you overcome your addiction. Well, I've had a very personal experience with Michael, so I can attest from um, his intervention in my life. For it wasn't his direct, precipitate, in absolute um, intervention in my life, I wouldn't be here. I would have had to have reincarnated by now. Right. Maybe you can say a bit more about that after this amazing song.
mighty light and the power of your great blue sword. Come now, hear the prayer of the people everywhere. We implore you with one accord. Guard our threefold flame in the holy I am name. In protections glow our souls now sealed. We feel your love cascading from above. And we're grateful for a friend so free. Guardian of our youth, defend unity and truth. With dear Michael standing at your side, your faith and your trust will always be a must. The nations of our world to guide, indigo azure too, and each transcendent hue, make us love to intone the sacred word. Michael, Archangel, true. So now we are going to talk a little bit about Archangel Michael. He's an amazing Archangel and he was said to be, have been there right from the beginning of Earth's evolution and uh, humanity's evolution and he's said to be uh, to, to continue till the last man has actually ascended. What an amazing champion of the human soul, Anna Kalima. You see, Archangel Michael doesn't come from this um, universe. He comes from another universe. He comes from another planetary system altogether. That's where he made his ascension. People must understand that Archangel means I have free will. The Archangels and the Archi have free will. Not all angels accepted free will. Some said, no, I will stay behind. Those who said I will take free will had to re to embody and then go back again. Most of your seraphic angels have been in embodiment, but there is not a single archangel or archaeo who has not been in embodiment. They have all been in embodiment. They have all been through the entire journey we've been through. Otherwise, they would not be and hold the hugely sacred and, and unbelievable magnanimous office of archangel. What is an archangel? It means he arcs the light. It means he's a great and mighty conductor of the light because he is a completely self-mastered, self-realized, omni-cosmic being. 
okay and his consciousness is angelic in other words it's absolutely pure that's really what angelic means it's pure it's untouched well is it untouched of course he was touched he was in the matter plane you know he was touched by life and corruption in fact michael in some of his dictations has said there was a time where he thought he wasn't going to make it he knows all about the fall of man. He has been part of it. He's been there. He's experienced human living. He's experienced what it is to be in the physical body. And what it is to live well and then not live well. Is in some embodiments, as the masters put it this way, one life a king and the next a pauper. It depends because in the great diamond mind of God and all the facets of diamond consciousness, we are a reflection of those facets. Therefore, we cannot expect to live all the facets of the mind of God in one life. We live many, many lives to experience the facet of cosmic consciousness to come to where it is in the sense of a fully self-realized being. Now, the name Michael means who is like God. That's what his name means, translated quite literally. And he stands on the right-hand side of God. Who is it that is so omnipotent that he can actually be afforded to stand next to God as Jesus does? Jesus when he ascended, was placed next to God. He sits next to God because he was given all power in heaven and earth on this and in all systems of worlds to come. Who is Jesus? He's a cosmic Christ and a Buddha, for one. People talk of the cosmic Christ and they're separated from Jesus. He's a cosmic Christ. He is also a Buddha. Now, Michael has the Buddhic consciousness as well because where mankind is moving through evolution in, in, in the evolution of human consciousness and where the ascended beings transcend because they are completely evolved beings, so they do not evolve anymore, they transcend. So you ascend and then you still go through initiation, you still go through tests and so on, but they're not quite the same as they are in the matter plane. Um, I refer now to Michael and all the tests he's been through to get to where he is. So he was a being who came through the first ray of the will of God, right? And that is the will, that is the mighty aspect of Almighty God that upholds creation. So what's expected of this blue-violet um, ray is courage. It's really, its name could be courage, it could be the faith and courage that makes everything happen. So he fulfilled his volition as a courage being, a faithful being. His consort, his divine consort, chose the name, as far as mankind is concerned, of faith. People who are devoted to the Ascended Masters understand that very seldom do they truly reveal their real names. The Michael's not really his name as such, and neither is faith, but they are given that for the calling thereof of mankind. But when we therefore get involved with and are able to, when I say get involved, you can get involved with the angels, you can get involved with the masters, if you are willing to arc your consciousness, in other words, through the help of the angels, upward, ever upward, ever upward, you can enlist the light of Michael in your life, I have done it. And you can find no greater friend, no greater strength, no greater courage, he is absolutely, completely, unutterably, and totally fearless, Michael. Now, every angel, in fact, every ascended master has a sword. What is a sword? The word sword comes from the, from the word sacred word. You are known by your word. You are known by what comes from your mouth. Oh, you know so-and-so, but you know what he's like. He always says such and such. You, so you know a person by the way they speak, so that's the way they are. That is the way they use the word. 
Okay, she's very compassionate. He's a little bit abrupt and short and so on. How we tend to use the word. And the word with Michael became courage and faith with his divine consort. He is the absolute quintessence of courage. He is fearless. So when you arc into Michael's great and mighty light, you arc into his sword. His sword is his truth. What is your sword? It's your truth. It's what you stand for. I am on the emerald ray. Yes, I'm on the green ray. And I must fashion a sword of truth in the vision of God. My truth must always be to attest my vision. I attest through the power of the Holy Spirit the vision I have been given by God in this life to see the ascended masters, to see the angelic hosts, and yes, to see the elemental beings. And yes, I have seen the living dead, and I have seen those out of embodiment. I've seen it all. I have seen fallen creatures you don't want to know anything about. I know the difference between light and dark. I've seen it with my eye, not my eyes, my eye. So we come back to Archangel Michael, and here is a mighty being who has gone and knelt in the great central sun in the great throne room in the great white throne and being anointed as a mighty archangel a being who arcs the light in angelic consciousness for mankind in the sense of strength and courage in other words he can sustain you he is as good as his word on earth we say put your money where your mouth is well when we take that up higher and higher and higher and higher and higher michael can be relied on because he is what he says he is he is that divine essence of courage so you can lean into him from here until infinity and back and michael will never run out of courage because that is who and what he is so it's a very interesting thing all the archangels have a specific virtue of god the virtues of the archangels are something people should study and also particularly those who face the ascension so that they can perhaps use as a role model one of the archangels and archei with which you can basically fashion the virtue of your own consciousness through. So when we look at Michael and the courage and faith he gives, I have had Michael come through and speak through me on numerous occasions. I have seen Archangel Michael. But what I can say to people is to stand in the presence of an, a mighty cosmic being, an omnipotent being like Michael. Um, you become very silent, you become overawed, but you become filled with the strength of love that also they step down for you. In other words, they dilute it. Another word for stepping down is to dilute. Because if we had to experience the full strength of Michael, the human body would shatter instantly. The heart would just give. The, the, your flesh would melt off your bones with that kind of divine electronic power all right so when we call on michael he will come to you according to the capacity you have to receive him and thereby in that you can slowly build up and build up no different to meeting people you love and you slowly build up a friendship and a strength people who meet each other finally decide to get married they've been friends for a long time because they've built up this incredible friendship okay so the same goes the masters always encourage friendship with the masters and with the angels and the archangels because those friendships are forever when you ascend they continue because you develop heart ties with one another when an ascended being sponsors you generally nine times out of ten through a heart tie you've either had an embodiment with that being somewhere along the line or there's some profound heart tie he she has offered you I have a very deep heart tie with Archangel Michael, beloved Ralph, and it has borne its fruits in when I was very young to this very hour. When I had my life attempted, when I lived in Durban, Natal, I was actually, someone was going to remove me from the physical octaves. They were attempting to strangle me. 
And I have been through that and I know what it's like to actually look death right in the face. And I went very quiet in my soul, very quiet because I thought, here's the detractor physically standing in front of me in my own home. I very quietly called to Michael three times. And what happened next belies belief. But believe you me, I, what I saw was absolutely profound. And some people will say, ha, Anna Kalima, you are suffering from delusion. I tell you, I attest before God. I attest the power of the Holy Spirit that what I say is truth. So help me, God, strike me out of embodiment if I lie. But my detractor was lifted off his feet and thrown bodily across the room. When I rushed through from my living room into my kitchen and stood there shaking, and yes, in those days I smoked, Ralph, and I remember lighting a cigarette and my hands were shaking, and I was saying out loud because what happened to my detractors when he hit the ground, he was a gibbering mess because he wet his pants and he started weeping and crying as he didn't know. I saw him physically move through the air and land on his back about four feet from me and lie on the ground in a heap as if someone with a very mighty fist, a very powerful, huge man, simply connected him under his jaw and sent him flying. When I went into my kitchen and I was shaking and I said, Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. I saw him next to me and he said to me, there's no need to shout. I'm standing right next to you, beloved. Now, I have attested this story through the Heart Center in America. I have attested this story all over and around the world. It stands as it is, firmly rooted. Michael is a real. The angels are real. The archangels are real. The masters are real. And if you really, really are prepared, even in the moment of your death, because it could have been my death, it could have been my physical end, because the individual, the man who was attacking me, was truly, truly taken over by something beyond his own strength. Because I knew that person. It always happens that way. I knew him. And yet what overtook him was beyond mortal flesh. So it was demonic. It was absolutely demonic. And yet I was delivered by the power of Michael because in that moment that I was undergoing that experience, I knew that God was the only power that could act and that Michael through God would deliver me. I knew it and I was delivered. Uh, you, my listeners, can take and leave this as you wish. But I say before the Prince of the Archangels, glory to thy name, O Archangel Michael, that on that fateful day you delivered me from the very hand of death itself. And I will attest your name, Lord Michael, until the very last of my breath. And I thank you. That's very, very moving indeed. And I can remember I've heard you talk about it before. And every time you've talked about this particular event in your life, it, you, uh, you, you really move me very deeply in my, in my being and in my soul. I thank you for sharing that with us today. And... Uh, yeah. After that, I think we need to maybe just do dwell on this idea that, that you brought here, that he actually can step if right you, across if, the veil. If you ask, you know, because we are generating conversation and people say, how, Hannah Kalima, do I get courage? Call on Michael. I'll give you one more experience I had with him. Um, I was very young, I was in my early 20s, I was in a marriage that was very uncomfortable and lasted a very short time. 
The individual I was involved with had a very ungodly approach to life. We often enter into these things and don't realize what we take on. And let's not go into the reasons why. These are things that people look back and say, why did I do that? Let's leave that for now. And let's look at the fact that one day when we were having a discussion, we were walking along the beach. This individual was determined to tell me God didn't exist. Um, the angels don't exist. In fact, he said to me, you look at those, that one day, that one he said they call Michael was actually a fallen angel. Do you know that? And I, I listened to him and I stopped in my soul and something, something triggered in my heart. And I let this individual continue his conversation. Now, all I said was, him, I'm not sure I agree with you. I left it at that. When I got home, it so disturbed me, Ralph. It so disturbed me. At that stage, I had a beautiful little five-year-old daughter out of this marriage. Very sweet little innocent thing. And I went in to my bathroom. I took a candle and a lighter. I smoked in those days. I was in my early 20s. And I took a simple old candle. I lit it, turned it upside down, dropped a bit of wax on the edge of my bath, secured it on the edge of the bath, put the, candle, the, the lighter down and got on my knees on my bath mat. And in fact, I didn't even switch the bathroom light on. I left it off and I started praying because I kept being pressed and pressed and pressed by this feeling that this conversation was a very, very serious error. So I asked Michael, I called him in my prayer and I said, Beloved Lord Michael, I don't know anything about you in this life, but I feel I've done you wrong and I do not believe you are fallen. Please, could you prove to me that you are real and that you really exist? Could you somehow let me know? Because I truly need to know. Because I am feeling extremely troubled by this and I don't like it. And I ask your forgiveness. Those were my words. I said some other prayers. I snuffed the candle out. And at that stage, it was time for me to get my little girl bathed. Because she'd started preschool, etc. and ready for the next day. And she was sitting in my living room at a small little low Chinese type coffee table on the carpet, very low down on the floor. I like to live uh, like the Japanese people. And she was sitting there uh, drawing, doodling as only a five-year-old could. And I marked this very carefully because this was not even an hour but plus to minus after that conversation which no one knew, knew about except me because I whispered those things. I didn't say it out loud. I whispered it out loud, a loud whisper. Anyhow, um, I then mentioned to my little one, it's time for bath, you have school tomorrow, okay, and she had her little crayons and things on the table and funny little pieces of paper, and she jumped up and she said, yes, mommy, I will bath now only here, and she came to me with a piece of paper and a crayon, and she said, Michael, you must write the name Michael, so I said, Michael, she said, no, mommy, you have to write it, this is a five-year-old, Ralph. I was then, the tears were streaming out of my eyes and they stream out of my eyes now and I took the pencil shaking and I wrote simply the name Michael on a piece of paper. She said, I want this mommy, thank you, okay. And she went and put all her little things together and I sat there for a few minutes weeping. If that isn't proof, what is? That he gave me instantaneous proof that he was there. What does she know about the name Michael? What did a five-year-old girl know about things like that? And asking me implicitly, no, you must write the name. What does it mean to write a name, Ralph? It's, it's not even go in there. but It's to anchor it, yeah. To anchor it. Yes. Yeah. There's well, another experience for you. Well, that's, uh, thank you. Thank you so, so very much for these um, uh, 
your contact, to, to talk to talk to us about your contact, you know. And we are very fortunate to have Anna Kalima because it's not only is she completely clairaudient, but clairvoyant, and she's had amazing contact with the hierarchy. And uh, to, for her to share um, now in this time of her life is very important because people need to really enter into a massive paradigm shift when it comes to claiming the Christ. So um, we're going to have another song and then I want to um, uh, bring two people. I want to bring two people. Um, I want to bring two people our, our contact details so that we can, uh, uh, if people want to be in contact with us or even make a donation to the Blue Lotus Radio. They can do so. But right now we're going to have a song about uh, God of God Ling, an ascended master Ling, who is the ascended master of happiness. So let's be happy that we uh, can actually listen to these things in the way that we do. Song of the free Lord, they go 
So I would like to just bring our contact details to your attention. And um, we are Blue Lotus Radio. And uh, the, this is all free. The Blue Lotus Radio is not a commercial station. It's absolutely free. We play wonderful music. And we have wonderful talk shows. But if somebody's moved to want to make a donation, the way to do that is to contact Aniela. And you can contact her for any any contact with us. Uh, we've got the Blue Lotus Radio, and then we've got the Blue Lotus University, where we offer courses about the Ascended Masters. And so there, there are courses which I will be making available on... Uh, quite soon. Um, there are some already available. But now, our contact number for um, Aniela, which is on WhatsApp, because she's a teacher, and she li- liaises for us. So you have to contact her on WhatsApp, and, and not actually phone her. So, the number is plus two seven seven two one seven eight two nine. One two, and I'm going to repeat that. It's plus two seven seven two one seven eight two nine one two. Aniela, so you can contact her. You even can present her with a question for Anakalima, and we can weave it into our program. So, if you want to interface with us in any way, just interface directly. With Anna Kalima, I mean Aniela, and she will interface with Anna Kalima and myself. So we've had a truly wonderful morning this morning, and the morning is not yet over. We still got some time, and um, so I want to turn to beloved Anna Kalima and actually ask her a kind of personal question. Anna Kalima, what uh, made you? want to really go into the bathroom? What was your reason to go into the bathroom and go on your knees and light a candle and um, and, and to talk and pray the way you did? Um, I mean, if someone says to me, I don't believe in, in the Ascended Masters, I just brush it off and say, well, that's your freedom. You may and you may not. It's up to you. But yet, yet something happened to you whereby you you needed to actually go into seclusion over your this person rejecting Archangel Michael. Could you say something to us about that? It came from my childhood. Um, God bless my beautiful mother. She was actually um, Presbyterian. Now, Presbyterian is from Scotland. It's the... Uh, Scottish Christian version of perhaps the the Anglicanized churches like um, the Anglican and the Methodist and so on and so forth, right? And some of the Calvinist churches. In fact, the word Kirk, which we have in South Africa, um, the Afrikaans word Kirk, actually is a Scottish word. It means church and it comes from Scotland. Just thought I'd pop that in. Um, my mother had a profound, unmovable, unutterable belief in Jesus Christ. And she raised me that way. She didn't force it down my throat. She actually gave it to me in the passion of her love for Christ. Because her love for Christ was moral. It was a moral principle bound in her very soul. 
where there were certain things she just simply did not transgress for the love of Christ. She just wouldn't go there or do or say because it would be have been an, an offense. And my mother was not puritanical, but she was extremely powerfully, morally, principally driven. And that gave me a foundation because it made a very, very deep impact. My mother's love for Jesus Christ and both, as in Jesus, as in our Messiah, and the principle of the Christ, because my mother was a profound scholar. She was not just um, very intent on going to church. She insisted I went every Sunday. She insisted I took my confirmation. But she herself was not so intently bound in it, rather than principally driven. Putting all that together, and her love for it, and my love for her, which was a cohesion of the whole thing. It was a coalesce of a journey that was yet to unfold throughout my entire life. And obviously, I brought it through from other lifetimes as well. This absolute intrinsic, deep, deep, deep subconscious knowing that Christ is, and through the great and most profound and sacred archetype of Jesus our Lord and His sacred heart, never missed a beat for me. As a child, I was always looking um, for more the Catholic ver uh, versions of the pictures of Jesus than anything else because they always depicted the Sacred Heart which was very important to me as a, as a little girl. So if you fast forward that a little bit, I no matter what I faced in life, Christ was my bedrock, Ralph. He was the bedrock I prayed to at the end of the day um, which was very, very important to me. Um, in fact, as a young girl, I was very involved in radio announcing. I worked for the Rhodesia Broadcasting Corporation at the time as um, in the studios in helping to produce programs and so on and so forth um, as what they would call the production assistant. I worked with many of the celebrities that came from overseas as well as South Africa at the time. It was a very fascinating career that I held down. And I'm, I'm mentioning that because... Um, we often put together, there would be a producer who would put together a program and they would select a certain production assistant. In other words, you're going to help them produce the program whom they wanted to work with. And one of the works that was put forward was actually the Christ Passion, which um, I was involved with a particular producer who I learned passed on a while back, uh, a very a peculiar sort of man, a very powerful individual who had, we had a tremendous bond to work together. And the Christ passion we put on had a very, 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 very profound effect for me where it shifted the ground from underneath my feet because even while I worked at the studios, um, my contemplation of Christ, of Jesus, of, of the crucifixion moved me to such an extent I had a profound experience there with him as well. So you must understand that the bedrock thing of Christ in my soul was part of who I am. So I was very morally and very principally driven um, there are just certain things you don't do. There are just certain things you don't say. You don't treat people in a certain way and so on and so forth, all that sort of thing. And a certain amount of self-respect as well in one's own emotional, moral hygiene. And um, it is out of that that I was able to know instinctively that out of the course of that conversation, something was wrong, very wrong, to such an extent that it nudged or rubbed abrasively against my moral instincts. And I knew that that conversation wasn't right. It, it, it made raw the nerve, if I can put it that way. It made something so uncomfortable in me. It was almost like a sense of betrayal, which is why when I got down on my knees on that cold, hard bathroom floor, um, 
because the bathroom mat is not really much between you and the floor. As young as I was, I still remember it was very cold at that time. Um, but I couldn't get off my knees. I couldn't get off the, the act of penance to kneel before whatever Michael looked like. I had a vague idea at that stage of what archangels looked like. I didn't even know at that point in time that the, the, the predominant blue ray was a reality. Uh, that Michael's color scheme or his theme was all around the blue and the will of God and that his armor is actually depicted as blue and the sword is a blue lightning. And so I just saw him as this mighty being of light who was a mighty archangel and I knew that something was horribly morally not okay and I couldn't live with it. So in that, my essence was to ask for forgiveness because I knew it was wrong. Where does that knowing come from? That is the key issue. The knowing is that Christ in you the wise dominion of Christ in you will tell you, this information you've been given is a blasphemy. It is not correct. Sort it out that you do not carry this error with you that might affect the rest of your life. That's why I knelt down and prayed to him, and he knew so. He was waiting for me. And this is what I give to you, to all of you, my listeners. No matter what you face in life, you do, as Ralph has said earlier, you need courage to claim Christ. You need courage. And there can be no greater archangel than Michael and Faith to give you that courage. You can quite literally, very simply do the same. You can get a little tea light if you like or something. Go and sit quietly somewhere. I've even prayed in the loo. I tell you, the angels don't mind and neither do God. All right? You can sit quietly if you don't have a space. Find it somewhere. Light a little candle, which really is synonymous with the flame of your heart. That's really what you're doing when you light a candle, is you're actually manifesting the flame of your heart before you. And when you extinguish it, you should really extinguish it and not blow it out. But that's another story for another time. But you have the candle before you. You then have the precipitate action of the flame before you, even though it's in a yellow flame, the flame we use for just about everything on earth, okay? That flame is, is a divine symbol because it's yellow and it represents Christ. Have people ever asked, why is the flame yellow? No. Do people ever ask that? Do people ever ask, why does a flame only ever burn up? Have you seen a flame bend at a 45 degree angle, Ralph, and burn somewhere else? Only when you've got purifiers and things like that does it seem that these flames lick all over the place. But I'm talking about a candle flame, not a bushfire. So, yes, you then have this archetype of your own heart flame in front of you. That's why it's so powerful. It's so powerful, the burning candle because it's the symbol of your heart. Okay, and the wick is the symbol of the Christ that burns the flame in the wax of your devotion. Meaning that the wax, you are open to manipulation, divine manipulation. You are open to being molded and changed. So the archetype of the candle is huge. Okay, and when you bow or kneel before that flame and you light it for the reason of prayer, you are actually consecrating the act of your prayer by lighting that candle. You consecrate your, the act of your prayer by lighting the candle. You say your prayers, pray, even if it's one little prayer like I did, it was just one little prayer in the bathroom. to never have a whole huge ceremony. It doesn't matter. Um, and then you, you, you blow the flame out if you can't extinguish it. Um, I've seen you do that. I've seen particularly certain men don't mind just snuffing the flame out with their fingers. I can't do that. It burns too much. I with this feeling I'm going to get burnt, and so help me, I do, I get burnt. So I've decided not to practice that one. It doesn't work for me. So often I do ask the angels to forgive me if I blow it out. The concept there being that the breath is not always clean. 
and the symbol of the candle, the symbol of the flame is purity and divinity, and it is rather you want the Holy Spirit to blow the candle out, so you use the snuffer to just quickly snuff it out, extinguish it in other words, don't blow it away, you extinguish it, um, then the archetype is that the flame is then returned or replaced back in your heart, it's not blown away, it's all archetypes but they're pretty powerful, all right, just little things of interest for people, um, which which at the end of the day count for quite a lot. It's the little things in life that mean everything, not the huge, big, overwhelming things. It is the little things in life we remember the most. It is the little smile we are given of encouragement by a total stranger when they see you struggling to get out of your car. And someone will give you that little smile because they know what it's like to struggle to get out of their car. These little things like that um, have massive impact on us because they go straight to the heart because they're normally heartfelt. So it's the little things in life that are important because they come from the heart. You can't manufacture or buy little things. They come from the heart. So when we use the candle, we manifest the flame of the heart, we pray whatever we want to, we extinguish it, and somehow we've done what Jesus asked. We've gone into the sacred repository of the heart. We've shut the door. We've knelt before him. The flame of his consciousness in our heart prayed, extinguishes, opened the door and walked out. No one knows about that prayer except you and Christ or God, you see. It's very, very powerful. So, yes, the motivation to pray to Michael was Christ and how I was raised. And if you're in a situation where you are not fortunate enough to be raised by one or both, I only had the one, on the other side of my life was my stepfather. And that's another story altogether, um, which I won't divulge and... Never ever did I meet a more godless individual in my life than my stepfather. He had no belief in God at all, whatsoever. It was a nightmare for me. So I think I cleaved to my mother's belief in, in Christ even more because I couldn't get it on the paternal side of my life. So if you get a situation in your life where perhaps there was no paternal, maternal correspondence to Christ, doesn't mean Christ isn't in you and that you can't find him. Because... God has written, he said to you very clearly, God, Sanat Kumara said, I have written my law in your inward parts. Now the inward part is nothing that the Nephilim can ever find. The inward part is the threefold flame, the I am that I am in the secret chamber of the heart, in the six-pointed star that it's in, in grammatically burning within, and it's within your heart and burnt, as it were, ingrammatically placed within your forehead. All right? And that divinity is innate. It is innate in man to just have faith. How, was he taught? Are we ever really taught faith? Where do we get faith from? Because it's given to us. It's given to us. Hope is given to us. We don't have to buy it, fashion it, or create it. You can't read it in a book and then think, oh, well, I'll have hope. Thank you. That's very nice. How much does it cost? Hope is innate. It is innate. It lives within you all the time. People reach extraordinary measures when suddenly they are pushed to an extreme situation they've got to dig inside and through faith and through hope and through love and through charity they are able to achieve the most profound things in life give you the example i mean it's extreme but it's, it's never left me is is in the sense because these stories are always profound of a story i read many many years ago and there are many 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 stories like this it was actually in america of where there was a helicopter crash something like that yeah it was a helicopter crash and um the way this this thing crashed um it was it left the individual the pilot in such a situation he was trapped and this man who was happened to always this is how god works being near 
and he was also, I believe, a mountaineer or something like that. He still he tested and tested. He never knew where it came from. Do you know that he managed to, in a moment, in a moment, a flash, he rushed up. You know, you have the rods with which the helicopter rests on, like skis. He managed to rush up to that helicopter and lift that entire thing off that man so he could pull him out so he, with the other people with it there. Where did he get that string? When he put the thing down, he was baffled. He never picked up anything that heavy again in his life. Where does that come from? What innate thing moved him? It was God, it was Christ that moved that man. Go and pick that helicopter up and get him out. Get my son out from there. I will overshine you. I will give you the power. Mm. That is faith. That is courage. Because he knew inside he could do it. He knew. God instructed him in an instinct. A blind, in other words, not through the physical eyes. A divinely blind instinct to go and pick that helicopter up. Have you ever imagined the weight of a helicopter? There have been countless stories of men who have picked up trucks. They have picked up motor cars off people. They have lifted it up just enough to pull that man out. And then there haven't been huge big strapping monsters themselves. You know, like these guys who live in a gym all day long and have a six-pack on a six-pack on all the rest of it, you know, and huge muscles and biceps. It's been profound, some of the things that have happened. Yeah, there's a truly amazing story that as well. And uh, these miracles happen all the time. Uh, people say, oh, miracles don't happen. But in fact, they, they happen every day. Every day is a miracle. So, Anakalima, we're going to have a short, another break, I think. But um, what do you think when we come back on how we can uh, close off? I always give you the opportunity just to speak, where you can either pray or you can do as you see you need to do. And uh, today it would be nice for you uh, to give out of your heart whatever it is you feel you need to bring the listeners. So let's have another song. And this one is called Hail to the Chief. And uh, this is one of the Ascended Masters also connected to the Blue Ray and also connected to the Will of God. And uh, he's been involved in many, starting many ventures in, uh, in the world. So... Let's sing to the chief. Hail to Elmoria, dear children of the first ray. Hail to the chief, master of the will of God. Faith, holy purpose, and Miria are your forte. Blazing new trails and leading us to the young. Of every land, Warrior Kathumi and Tronkul at large. 
ones of the seven rays, flashing God's will with your blue lightning speed. We are one with God's will, holy purpose, now our daily fare. Take charge today as we live your new blue. Lead on more, you hell, with your thrusts of light for right. From the beginning, we're winning with you. So every day has got miracles in it. And it's all a matter of having the context to be able to see these miracles and to really break the bounds of your normality, so-called normality, and the boredom of certain concepts that just keep going round and round and round. And today we've spoken about uh, claiming the Christ and the courage that is required. We've spoken about Archangel Michael and uh, how he helps us to find the courage to be able to claim the Christ and that the Christ is very deeply innate in us and uh, we are very truly very grateful and honored to have Anaka Lima come and speak to us once a week and uh, the things she brings us is all out of her own experience and her own wisdom that she has gathered over a period of time. And we thank you truly, Anakalima, for sharing with us. And uh, I want to say to the listeners, those of you who appreciate these uh, podcasts that go out, um, share them. Share them with people because it is really important that people now hear um, that there is such a person, Anaka Lima, who's had these amazing experiences, which as she, she has said to me, it's not for her. Why does she talk about it? Because these experiences belong to the whole of humanity. So, Anaka Lima, as usual, we thank you very much that you agree to do these talks. And uh, we're now going to um, hand over the microphone to you to bring whatever you would like to bring. Thank you, beloved Ralph. I would just like to say initially that in my life, in the 60 years of living, what I have seen, been and done and experienced, I've traveled fairly extensively. I have not just been here. I've lived in three different African countries, gone to school in different countries, traveled overseas, mostly to the east. Um, I think if anyone who likes travel gains anything out of it, it's always to see how other people live, um, regardless of ethnic cultures and national ties and so on. Deep in core, people are all the same. We're all the same. Um, I've met some profoundly devoted people to God, to Christ, to Buddha, to the principle of the mother in very different cultures who have left me no, no doubt whatsoever as to the reality of God, to the reality of Almighty God, to the reality of the Ascended Masters, to the reality of the mighty Archangels, 
and their divine compliments and the angelic kingdoms. I've had divine experiences of seeing the devachonic elemental beings, which are truly, truly too magnificent to behold. Uh, they are truly exquisite. They are absolutely breathtakingly beautiful beings. Uh, it's it's a gift that God has given me, and obviously it's in my attainment and in the causal body. I haven't just been given this. We earn these things. And, you know, something that El Moria spoke about is the concept of realizing. Now, if we break up the word realize, it means real eyes, to self-realize. So the real vision to self-realize is in God we have the vision to see who we are. That's what self-realization means. The eyes that are real. To real eyes. Okay. To self-realize is we have the vision to see that this self is in fact God. This is what self-realization is really, truly all about. And any, no matter from what side of the earth they come from, who have achieved this, will all attest to the same, that the self is God, that we are of God that God is in us and we have come through God and that we return to God and that Almighty God is the great omni, macro omni consciousness in the great cosmic void, the great cosmic egg that is the all-powerful creator and yeah, you can say whatever you like that is an absolute fact borne out by the magnificence of life itself and the very simple perfection of a little baby that is born in its absolute perfection. And what happens, whether you've not had children or not, it doesn't matter if you've had the chance to hold a newborn. Isn't it a miracle? Those little eyes open, particularly in the first couple of months of life, and the little hand somehow inadvertently, because they don't have control of their arms and legs, reaches out and one little hand can only barely clasp around one of your fingers. And you look into those little eyes and there is the soul gazing back at you. This innocence and perfection. And you can deny God. Now I don't think anyone in their truth truly can. I think it's rebellion that causes people to deny God and their karma. But nonetheless I say to you that Jesus who is both the Prince of Peace and who sits on the right hand side of Almighty God is the great cosmic Christ who said he has come to give us life and that more abundantly manifest, will give you absolution. He will give you the freedom from the burden of error. And thinking in error is a burden. It weighs more heavily upon you than anything else. It causes you to feel the weight of the cross very intensely. This is what absolution is about. It's to forgive you from the burden of thinking in error because thoughts are things. You become what you think. In other words, you create what you become. And this is the heart of the issue in the world. Is people don't want to acknowledge that what they've created that they don't like is in fact the work of their own authorship. It's a biography you need to rewrite if you want to change everything. And you can do that and you need courage to do that, yes, and you need faith to do it. You also need um, hope because as St. Paul or Master Hilarion said, hope is that that has given us that we hope for the things or substances that we have not yet seen. Mother Hope, okay, Hope is another one. Without her, I've had the profound experience of, of receiving direct contact with her 
and the hope that she gave me a very, very long time ago embedded in my heart that has made it possible for me that no matter what I faced, no matter what the ups and downs are and where I've been and the deep, deep valleys to the deep, deep highs and so on and so forth, I don't, have not and will never lose hope and faith and belief in the ascended masters now hope is something that's given to you again you can't buy it or order it or create it it is within you the minute you acknowledge it it's a flame hope is a flame you ignite it you ignite it when you acknowledge it you ignite the flame of faith when you acknowledge it and you ignite the flame of charity which is love you ignite it because charity means to give and we are here to give to one another not take from one another so i share this with you in your hearts and ask you for a moment to just, if it's possible, wherever you might be, to close your eyes and be quiet if you're driving a vehicle or whatever the might be, rather than just to quietly go within and keep your eyes very focused on the road, but you can go within or wherever you might be, where you might have made it possible for yourself to hear this while you are working. Go inward a little and just feel the resonance of my words. Feel the resonance of the Christ that works through me. Feel the, the resonance of that substance because often Christ is referred to as a substance because it's tangible the Eucharist which is the body and blood of Christ the body what is the wisdom the wise dominion the ability to learn to live wisely in Christ through his spirit which is his blood he will give you the Eucharist you do not need to go to church you do not need the Catholic Church you do not need a cup of wine you do not need a wafer in your mouth the very light of Christ becomes the wafer. It becomes that anointing. You become anointed through the Eucharist by your acknowledgement of it. And if you can acknowledge Christ in this manner, you can also claim him. Because it's a very powerful, powerful experience to claim Christ. It's not, right, I'm going to have it. That's not claiming Christ. Claiming Christ is something, A, you will never speak about to anybody. Because it's extremely, extremely personal and intimate between you and Christ. So when you do claim Christ... Nine times out of ten, it should be ten times out of ten, it's something that takes place in such a deep part of your heart that no one will ever know about it except the, the, the Archangel Michael, except the angels and, and God himself, and obviously the Lord Christ. Jesus holds that office of the Lord Christ. It's an office. Remember that the word sacrifice means sacred office. The sacrifice, the sacred office of Jesus in his Galilean mission was to bring you the Christ so that you can come to Christ consciousness without the hard-cornered orthodoxy which binds us and says, no, you need the external priest. You don't. Your heart is the priest. And the Christ consciousness is the priest of your heart at the altar or the grail of your heart and your threefold flame. Now we can just for a moment be quiet and feel the presence of Archangel Michael and feel the mighty blue sword he fashioned himself. How did he fashion the sword of blue lightning? Because he is his sword. He is the sacred and mighty sword. He is the word that he has become. He is courage. He can plunge courage into the midst of the darkest points of the darkest fallen beings in creation because he is the courage that we require to do such a thing. And we require Michael's courage to plunge his sword into our own darkness, into our own ignorance, and to isolate it from the light to remove it so that we can see the light shining in the proverbial image of the old 
cottage or broken down home or something and you get this marvelous stream of sunlight that streaks through one of the holes in the in the in the wall or the roof and it makes a wonderful photographic display can be like that where when you ask michael to pierce your darkness and your ignorance with his sword, the light streams through the hole he has created. And it can be very painful when that light streams in because it will also show up all the other dark corners and cobwebs and things you need to clean up. But he is the courage for you to do that. He is the courage for you to face your weakness, to face those things you need to overcome because you must understand something, blessed ones, you are not your weakness any more than you are your personal reality. This persona nonsense, this nonsense of a personal reality is who I am, is not who you are. You are not your experiences. Therefore, weakness is an experience. Fear is an experience. If you've hated, we've all hated. It's an experience. We can ask Michael to help us to cleave this asunder, to cleave the darkness from the light, so that there is only light. And in fact, we find out with joy, because it's written in the Bible. And God shall wipe away all their tears. Now, what does this mean? Now, when you ascend you will realize all of this was never really real anyway, yet it seemed so very real. Because God can only give permanence in absolute perfection. So therefore the school is nothing but a most incredibly extraordinary school of life. It's a university starting from grade naught right up to postgraduates. When you are a postgraduate, you are about to ascend. So please bear that in mind, that I hope I have been in some way, through the power of God shining in my heart, and through the light of Archangel Michael, an instrument today in your life of courage and faith, that you may know with assured determination that all of it is real, and that if you are willing to take the plunge, in other words, put your hand in the hand of God, put your hand in Archangel Michael's hand, he will hold it very firmly and he will pull you out of the quicksand of human illusion. If you know anything about quicksand, you will know also that it makes a most terrible sucking noise. It will not let you go willingly. You have to almost tear yourself out of it. It is so bad because it's so powerful while it remains in the electric, uh, electromagnetic plane. My example is you get two opposite um, magnets. You get a very, very powerful magnet where it can attract another magnet. And you allow them, and often enough, if you bring them close enough, what do you do? They snap together uh, without your help. Often you buy in these crystal shops um, these magnets that they cut in, and polish into shapes now, you see. And then before you know it, I have two that are in the shape of spheres. At a certain distance, these things just rush together. Hematite, they call it. A magnetic hematite, it rushes together and makes a resounding clack as it connects together. Well, that pulling sensation, if you look at it in the opposite, is what happens when you are pulled out of the situation you are in. It is, the, it is so powerful that it will suck you right back so that you smack right back into it. That magnetic force will pull you in again and again. The, the electric magnetic belt or the electromagnetic belt of your being will suck you back in by magnetic compulsion. How do you break the magnetic compulsion? Through faith and courage. And I hope that you will take the stories that I've shared with you today in the light of Archangel Michael in your heart and he will deliver you. But you need to believe in him because belief is alchemical. If you don't believe in anything, it won't happen. Unfortunately, if you believe in um, contrary situations, you can make very awful situations happen in your life by the power of your belief. So make Michael happen in your life. Believe in him.
and see what he can do for you. Not because he's got anything to prove, not by any means, and not because you've got anything to prove, but because you need Michael to deliver you in these times. Trust me, you do. So I say to you, God bless you one and all, and in the light of Archangel Michael, may you feel and receive his peace and his love and his will, and you may hear from him in a moment. Blessed ones, blessed ones, blessed ones from my heart, hear me now, hear me as I speak to you, hear me as I pierce through into your heart, and I say unto you now, cleave the darkness from the light, for you are the light. Let go the darkness, because it is not you, it does not belong to you. Yet, through the error of thinking you have attracted these things, my beloved, my children, let them go. Call on me, call on my name, call on my light, call on my beloved faith, and we will deliver you, even in the very midst of Armageddon. Yes, my beloved, as I raise my blue lightning sword, you are in the very midst of Armageddon. You are in the very midst of the return of the Atlantic karma. You are in the very midst of the return of the post-late Lemurian karma, here most particularly in Africa and all over the world. There is this last attempt to drag you in by that very magnetic pull, which seems so very real, because, my beloved, it seems it is as being all that you have ever known, and yet I say I have the courage and the faith to know that I am Michael, and I will deliver you, and I will show you what is righteous and what is unrighteousness, and I will show you that the righteousness of the Son of Righteousness is the Christ, and you can be delivered from all of this and even more. It simply requires, as blessed Jesus taught, faith the size of a mustard seed and you will see this mountain and he will say to the mountain move and the mountain will move and I will cleave from you the mountain of doubt and illusion the mountain of if nots and would nots and maybe and but and when and how I will remove all that into the now into the living presence of your very own I am that I am and you will know God in the flesh right where you are because I am Michael and I am with you now one and all I thank you. Thank you so much, Anna Kalima and Archangel Michael. What a privilege it is to be in the presence of Archangel Michael so direct as you could feel the tremendous energy that uh, were in those words. So, Anna Kalima, we thank you for spending the time with us. And uh, we say to all of the people on uh, the broadcast, we will see you next week and uh, um, spread the word. Tell people about the Blue Lotus Radio podcasts. For what we bring is what we really believe is now needed, needed very much in the world. So we thank you. We thank Anna Kalima once again and we thank you for listening to Blue Lotus Radio and we see you uh, next week. Goodbye.